Amen. While I'm getting set up here, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2 and kind of put your finger there. I'm going to start there, and I'm, I think I'm going to end there. Um, chapter or, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. I'm also going to be, well, I'm going to be in a lot of places, Ephesians chapter 2 and John chapter 3. While you're uh, turning there, I want to take this opportunity to thank thank little Rodney for uh, for spending his anniversary, you know, with our kids up there. And um, you know, I know my, Morgan had a really good time. You know, she had a really good time, and I'm just thankful to have such good good youth pastors that I can talk to, and they talk to me, and and you know, we're all in this thing together, you know, and. And I'm sure there's nothing more romantic than spending an anniversary with other people's kids, you know. So uh, just get used to it, Dara. It's, it's how we roll around here. So, yeah. So Philippians chapter 2 and, and uh, verse 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, just as always you have obeyed, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for God is the one working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure, according to his good pleasure. In Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, for we are his workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, walk in the good works. Amen. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together once again, Lord. Let us take advantage, Lord, of the opportunity that we have tonight. Lord, I'm not a perfect speaker, Lord. I'm going to preach the word as I feel you've given it to me, Lord. Lord, but I just rely on your spirit, Lord, to open up the hearts of those who are here within hearing, Lord. Lord, to apply, Lord, what is spoken, Lord, to their individual lives, that they may respond, Lord, according to your spirit and according to your command, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to try to so much preach what Rodney preached on last week. I'm not capable, and uh, it would be really redundant. But I do want to kind of piggyback a little bit on that. I was uh, there's this question I told the guys that's been rolling around in my heart: is uh, how soft am I? How soft have I become? Um, I was, you know, it wasn't too long ago. I was packing studs and laying out boards and hanging, you know, by one foot, you know, with the level, trying to level things out, working construction. And, you know, and I was loading, taking some bags of dirt. Amber's got a garden going. I was taking some bags of dirt from the, from the truck to the back of the house. And I'm just, uh, <gasps> you know, I'm like, wow, this hasn't been that long, but it feels like it that was a long time ago. Looking at my hands going, man, these got soft real quick. These got soft real quick. You know, so I think, you know, how soft have I become? How soft have we become as a nation, um, as a people? Um, and so I, I just want to touch on that. It's not an accusatory thing, just something the Lord's put on my heart. I, and uh, like I said, I feel like the Lord is capable of taking the words that are given and applying it to your lives. Amen. And I may not say everything perfect here, but, but the Lord is faithful and he's going to change us if we let him, if we take the steps to do it. Amen. So I'm going to go over some things that I was reading about. Um, I was reading in Psychology Today. This quote, it's about, and I, I was looking up the, uh, the 
the plague of individualism and, and, and uh, because that's really what's going on in our nation today. It's just a really a, a self-centered, it's always kind of been that way, but it's just kind of driving towards everything's about you, everything's about me, everything's about how we feel. And it, the society in itself is trying to cater itself to every individual person, and it's ripping the country apart. I don't know if you've ever tried to cater to each individual kid in your household. It doesn't work too well. It doesn't work too well. And so for a nation to try to cater to every whim of its citizens is not working out so well. So in psychology today, it says one trend is that as countries in general become more economically developed, there tends to be a rise in individualism. And this is the part that I want to really emphasize here. The more affluence leads to a greater sense of self-reliance and detachment from others. Uh, more affluent a society gets, the more inward it begins to look. Um, I've been off and on uh, teaching Morgan history, going over some of her history things. And one, one thing that I've been showing her throughout history is that when you look back, when people were just nomads and they were just, they, life was really rough. They didn't have a lot of time to philosophize on self. They didn't really have a lot of opportunity to, to really look inward at, you know, what's the meaning of life and things like that. They were just, what are we going to eat today? You know? And then as a nation becomes more stable, then you start to begin to have more philosophical ways of looking, start looking at government, start looking at society as a whole. But then as it gets more and more affluent, it starts to deteriorate because now everybody just starts to look at their own feelings because there's nothing, they've gotten so comfortable that there's nothing on the outside that's affecting them. So all they have to do is look at themselves in their own comfort. And I feel like our society has gotten that way. You know, we could look at ancient Greece. We could look at, well, I'm not going to give you a history lesson tonight. If you want one, I'll give you one. I'm more than happy to later on. But I think you understand the point. I think you understand the point. We look at Hollywood today. You know, Chris and I were talking about this a, a while ago. Actors today couldn't live the life that I live. They don't even know how. They could not. They have people to do all the things that we just do. They have, and they use, use the excuse as well, I'm, just, I'm so busy and I've got all these things. And really, it's just, it's become a cushy life that if that was ever taken away from them, I wonder how they would be. wonder how they would act. Um, but in our affluence and in our... Uh, great uh, society, 55.7% of public school students in grades 3 through 8 uh, can't pass a reading test. The most recent reading test administered in the National Assessment of Education, just 30%, 36% of fourth graders performed at, at or above the NAEP proficient level. 67% performed at a basic level, meaning that a third of all students did not. Both measures were on par with the national average. Now, what do, why did I bring that up? Because as people have become less educated, instead of forcing them to meet a higher standard, we have lowered the standard in the educational system. 
We lower it because it's more important to get people graduated and to say that we've accomplished something in the public school system than it is to actually accomplish something in the, in the public school system. And what it means is that we've create, we have, haven't, we've tried to soften it for the, for the children much to a point that what are they going to do when they actually have to read in society? What happens when they actually have to go get a job and they actually have to apply what should have been taught to them? It becomes so uncomfortable, and it's no wonder we have what's going on today. We won World War II with an educational level average of eighth grade. Does any of you believe that eighth graders today could win World War II? I highly doubt that college kids could win World War II if that were to happen right now. It just shows that the standard before has, was a lot higher than it is now, even though we have way more opportunities to educate our children than we did before. And one of the issues that has, that has been a result of this is that we are looking, we are so soft, we are so um, afraid of upsetting the apple cart that we don't call out these things anymore, that we don't up the standard anymore in society as a whole, and that there is just this, we're just empathizing with all of these people, and you would think empathy is a good thing, but really what I see, and I think all of you can see it if you think about it, is it's not empathy in the sense of we are, of what other people are doing, it's empathy in the sense is how I feel. Let me give you an example. I'm going to do something good for something, not because I'm trying to do good for somebody, because I want to feel better about myself. Well, you're never going to get anywhere doing that. You're never going to get anywhere doing that. We didn't go down to the park and feed the homeless because we wanted to feel good about ourselves. We went down there because we tried to help people. And so it's no wonder that people are going out and doing these things and they still have no sense of fulfillment in their life because it's empty. Because whenever you look inward for fulfillment, you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost. But our culture is obsessed with the higher callings and the higher purposes and the great big issues of the day. I was actually listening to Jordan Peterson. And um, in one of his books, he makes this point about being a better a, a better person is start by cleaning your room. That's what he says. And so he was in a, he was in a, a town hall questionnaire type, type thing. And one of the students asked him, not, I think it was a student asked him this question. It wasn't really a, a question. It was more of an accusation, but why should we worry about things like cleaning our room when there's so many different problems in society, like global warming, or she called it climate, climate change, whatever. And all of these bigger issues that he, she listed, and she said, well, why do I have to worry about those things, or do I have to worry about those things when there are all these bigger issues? And his answer was, no. You still have to worry about cleaning your room. You still have to worry about you as a person being better. Because I'm never going to help anybody out there if I don't correct what's going on in here first. If I'm an unstable person, how do I help a stable person? Jesus said this, if the blind lead the blind, they're all falling into a ditch. We have to make sure that we are seeing that we have sight before we try to give sight to others. But we're so self-absorbed now, and I, I say us as a society, 
you know, I know um, we try to do our best, but affluence is, I think, a great perpetrator of this epidemic that's going on. I think about this, getting back to World War II. After World War II came the 1950s, and that was the greatest economic boom that we have ever seen. Well, why was that? Well, because, one, we didn't have any industrialized nations that, to compete with for industry. We blew them all up. So there was no, nobody to really compete with. And society grew and, and became richer and richer. And then what did you get as a result of that? You got the 1960s. Anti-war, free love, all these teenagers coming into college and they've all got these big ideas and we're going to tackle the great things and the, the great problems and issues of society and they're all a bunch of filth balls and all a bunch of perverts and all a bunch of guys and girls on drugs. And now those people are the ones in charge. And they're preaching that same thing to everybody else. Tackle the bigger issues and forget the issues that are going on in here. Forget those. I want to read you this quote by Michael Hopp. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times times. When we are weak and we allow ourselves to be weak, how are we going to handle when things get rough, which they eventually will? So now how does this, how does this come to us? How, where does a rubber hit like a, a Charlie, our GM at work says, so what? So what? What, is, what does that mean for us in church? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, for there will be a time when they will not endure sound teaching, but according to their own desires have itching ears that will gather around them teachers to suit themselves. Teachers to suit themselves. I'm on this kick right now because, you know, we all love to rail against certain preachers and, and, and they have their due, believe me. They, they have their own, they're going to be judged for what they're speaking and what they're doing. But they would not be up there if it wasn't for the congregations that put them there. They want to hear that. They have an itching ear. Now, what does it mean to have an itching ear? I could go into the Greek on that, and I did, and it just means an ear that itches. It's, that's all it really means. Nothing more profound than that. But I begin to think of it this way. Every, look at all the churches that we have in Oklahoma, all around us. There is an itch in every person for that greater calling, for that greater purpose, for that greater fulfillment, that trying to look to something above ourselves. Look to God, so to speak. That's why they're attending church. The issue is they don't really want to know truth. They want to have church. They want to scratch that itch, that, that missing part in their soul that they know that they're missing. They want to scratch that itch of morality, of being a good person, but they want to do it in such a way that they... They attend some place that caters to what they want to hear. They want to pursue and they want to serve God in a certain way. And so they're going to find the person to do it. And just like a true capitalist system that we have here, there's, where there's demand, there's, there is going to be somebody to supply that need. There's going to be somebody. You know, I was thinking about, you know, a couple, I was listening to, um, I don't know why I was doing it. I was a glutton for punishment, I suppose. But Joyce Myers, um, 
And she, um, it was so funny because she was talking about, you know, she got a couple of tattoos, okay? And I thought to myself, well, a person your age, what is the, why would you want to get the tattoos? And then I, it kind of, I don't know if it was the Lord, but it kind of dawned on me, she's just along for the ride on this thing now. So whatever she thinks the congregation wants to hear or wants her to do, that's what she's going to do. Bill Johnson, I listen to him sometimes, and sometimes he'll, he'll preach a really good word. And I wonder sometimes, you know, what's going on there? He's just along for the ride now. He'll sign off on whatever. Chris was just talking about a book he signed off that, that was full of gobbledygook, mysticism, craziness. Why did he sign off on that? Because he's just along for the ride. If he doesn't sign off on that, they'll find somebody else who will sign off on that. And so it doesn't really matter who is up there. And that's why I think our pastors and, you know, I try to kind of keep names out because it doesn't really matter who it is. People want to hear what they want to hear. They want to scratch that itch. They want to, they want to keep that going. And they can't, so while they're in those congregations, while they're hearing that, they are not even able to endure a sound word. If somebody, I always like to think that if, you know, if I came in there and I preached to them, they would be, they would go, yes, that's right, truth, finally. No, they would not. They would probably just shout me down and kick me out. Probably cut the microphone off. Because they just, they don't want to hear it. Why don't they want to hear it? Because it's uncomfortable. And that's really what I'm going with. It's, it's too hard. And when you get to a place where you're soft enough, everything is too hard. Everything is too hard to hear. Everything is too hard to tolerate. The point is their congregation won't to tolerate sound teaching, even if it was given. given. They look to large, emotionally charged spiritual experiences, but won't endure just a little bit of sound word about their own personal conduct. They're looking for the grand and glorious revelation, the great commission, the great calling, but they won't listen to somebody saying, hey, your life is not right. There's conduct in your life that is not that God is not pleased with. I told somebody, well, I didn't tell them. We were just having a discussion. I said, you know, there's some personality traits that, God, that, that just don't work in the kingdom. And he just looked at me like, what, what? He said, that's interesting, which is code for I don't believe that. That's what that, I, I've learned that, you know, over the years. But it's true. There are some issues, there are some personal quirks that I have that just are not going to work in the kingdom. God's going to have to get them out of me in order for me to be successful in the kingdom. Great moves of faith don't happen when the Lord finds us unfaithful to the little things in our own lives and in our own homes. We're never going to find this great calling, this great purpose, without first being faithful to the purpose of being good and faithful servants to him. Being good and faithful servants to him. In first, and, and this is why. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, it says, Do you not know that those running the ra in a race course indeed all run, but one receives the prize? Run thus that you might obtain it. Now everyone striving controls himself in all things. They, then indeed they, that they might receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run thus or this way. Not as uncertainly, I fight thus, not as beating the air, but I batter my body. I bring it into servitude, 
lest having preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. I buffet myself because there are things the Lord wants to tell me. And if I don't have this guy under control, I'm going to find myself in a bad situation. And you see that all the time. You see men with great big congregations, and you, you see them finding themselves in bad situations that they've got themselves in. Why? Because they weren't good men? No, because they got too soft. They got too soft. They got so soft that they didn't want to buffet this guy anymore. They didn't want to buffet that man anymore because they felt that they were not, no, not in a place where they could ever become a castaway. But everybody here can fall short. Everybody here can do that. And all it takes is just to get a little bit soft to where when the sound word comes out, we don't want to hear it because it's just too tough. It's just too tough. Tough. Inexperience and, and, and not being responsible. Uh, spiritual experiences without wor- earthly grounding leads to destruction and heresy. Meaning that I question pastors who don't get out and go work. Why? Because that's a really soft life. It's really soft, and I don't mean to accuse them. I'm sure there's good men out there that don't, that, that just, you know, they don't work for a living. They just, they just pastor, but it's a dangerous place. Because I believe, you know, Rodney and I have been discussing this, and I can't, I'm not saying anything that it, the Lord has told me. I just, I just feel like when I go out and work, when I go out and get my hands dirty, when I go out and lift something, I go out and just, Take care of what God has wanted me to take care of, that there is a spirituality to that. Maybe not to it specifically. I don't think the Lord's hovering over me while I paint a fence. But I think that the Lord is pleased when I'm taking care of his things that he's blessed me with. I'll give you an example of this. Um, you know, Adam goes out in the garden, and then he goes and sees, seeks God in the spirit in the cool of the evening. After the heat of the day, after all the work is done, God's there to meet him. Because Adam's been taking care of what God has blessed him with. And John 3 and verse 12 says, if I t- this is Jesus speaking, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If I don't take care of the earthly things, meaning my own conduct, this old man, this earthly man, if I don't take care of him, how am I going to respond to Revelation? If I can't buffet this guy, this guy in my day-to-day, if God were to give me revelation, I might take advantage of that and end up in heresy. I might think that I know more than I really do because I let this man get out of control. Do not neglect the gift which you were given through prophecy. This is what in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And I think that applies to everything that we do. Don't neglect what God has blessed you with. God has blessed you with a home. God has blessed you with a a family, be responsible for them. Take care of them. Has God blessed you with them? Do you believe that? Then take care of them as cherished possessions. Take care of them and seek God in how to take care of them. And he will bless you. He will. You think the Lord's not going to bless you when you try to take care of his things? God does not hate your flesh. He doesn't hate it. I know that's a, you know, kind of sounds a little contradictory he doesn't hate your flesh he created this flesh in you he created it what he hates is the flesh being in control that's what he hates he hates when the flesh does its own thing and doesn't 
submit itself to the Spirit of God. That's what he hates. The Lord loves order. And we, too, are to live a life of walking in the Spirit in the cool of the evening after we have subjected our flesh to the heat of the day. When our minds are put to work and our limbs labor to accomplish that work, there's not much room for the lust of the flesh. Where the lust of the flesh have come in is too many people sitting around playing video games. Now, are video games bad? No, I don't think they're bad. But when I've got things to do and I'm prioritizing that or watching TV, whatever it is, I don't even, I don't even want to call out any specifics. Something where you're seeking comfort over responsibility, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. There, you're going to find yourself in a bad place. Uh, Jesus, uh, when he's talking about John, and Baptist, John the Baptist, he, he kind of alludes to this. When he says, who'd you go out to see, a man in soft raiment? Those are the, found in the king's houses. Why did he say that? You don't find a whole lot of sexual deviancy and craziness in the common people. Why? They're too busy working. They're too busy getting up at sunrise to tend to their things and working until, until daylight's over. And then by the time they get in the house, they're exhausted. There's no room for that stuff. You find it in the king's house because the king's house is full of leisure and comfort. America is built on comfort. We have become a victim of our own affluence. We are richer than we are richer than most nations rich. And you know, I preached about this earlier, but uh, before we even moved, but most of us here are richer than 14% of the rich people in India. What does it afford us? Now, it could afford us some advantages, but it also affords us some dangers. Because when we find ourselves in comfort and seek, that's what we're going to seek after, comfort. We're going to seek after it in, in what we listen to, in who we hear, in the jobs that we do, is we're going to seek after what makes us feel comfortable. And you know what? Sometimes the Lord doesn't want us to be comfortable. I think sometimes the Lord just does things in me just so I'm uncomfortable, just so I don't get settled, just so that I don't get too soft in my easy chair, that when he calls me to move, I'm too comfortable to get up. Amen? Everybody follow me on this? Okay. History is full of examples of that. The more easy society experiences leads to all sorts of good things, but it also leads to a lot of bad things. Also leads to a lot of bad things. It leads to not being able to hear when the Lord is trying to speak to us. I'm going to go back to John chapter 3. Um, this is so familiar, but I, I just started looking at this. I told, uh, you know, Rodney and I were kind of going back and forth on this. John chapter 3 and verse 3 and for, this is Nicodemus speaking. He says, how is a man able to be born being old? Is he able to enter into the womb of his mother a second time and be born? Now, I've always kind of looked at it, and I, I think he was really, you know, wasn't really understanding what Jesus was saying here when Jesus says to be born again. But I also think, think sometimes that we ignore when the Lord says something to us because we don't really want to hear what is being said. We don't really like the implication that's being said. How Nicodemus probably should have responded here is, I know that what you're saying is true. I just don't know how to do it. How do I do that? But 
it's easy for us to dismiss things when the preacher doesn't have the right analogy, when the preacher doesn't have a specific, you know, a metaphor for what our specific life, and we go, well, it's not really applying to me. Is it a spiritual truth or is it not a spiritual truth? And if it's a spiritual truth, then my response is, Lord, how do I do that? When Rodney gets up here and preaches, we've got to be men and we can't be soft. I can't look and go, well, me as a salesman, and am I supposed to go and go work construction now? Am I supposed to go lift wood and go and get my hands dirty and get some slinders in my hand and that's going to make me tough? No, but I do know that he's right. So now I have to look at the Spirit of God and say, Lord, how am I going to accomplish that? How do I do that? What do I have to endure? How do you make me uncomfortable to do that? You know, the disciples did this too. When Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler and, and dismissed him, and then he says this, it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. They said, well, who can be saved? And Brother Chris talked about this, and it was just so enlightening to me. Of, of course they said that. That's what they were trying to attain their whole life, what this guy had. We're all looking to be that guy. He's rich. He's in the temple. He's a ruler. We're out here fishing. I'm hoping I could get that to that place. And now you're telling me we can't have access to heaven doing that? We're all striving to get more comfortable. We're all striving to get more affluent so that we can be at our ease. And the Lord's saying, you can't get to heaven if you're in that place. You're not going to make it if you're too comfortable. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything about rich or poor or what you got in your bank account. I'm just saying that the Lord said that. And so if the Lord said that, I have to look at myself and go, Lord, now am I, do I fall in that category? And if I do, what do I do about it? You're going to have to help me. And the Lord is faithful to do that. That's the ability that he gives us. Gives us the ability to, to answer the call that he's called. Gives us the ability to do what he asked us to do. He's never going to ask you to do anything you're not capable of or that he's not going to give you the ability to do. All right, I'm, I'm getting going to bring this in for a landing. To soft hands, all things seem rough to the touch, and to a weak physique, all burdens seem heavy. All burdens seem heavy. Self-discovery, self-esteem, being the better you, all about you and your worth and your best life, those don't sound like the call of God. Those do not, do not sound like the pursuit of the purpose of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's about what he wants. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24 through 25, the disciples not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. But we've put Jesus into such a, we cannot attain the deity of Jesus Christ. We can't attain that. So how do I become like my Lord? I become like my Lord in his humanity. He walked on earth as a human being, and he gives us the ability to walk as he walked. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. 
Even though he had every authority to live in comfort, he did not. And even though we have, God's not calling us to, to sell everything and, and, you know, live with a, you know, wearing a burlap sack. But I also know that he's called us at, to the same calling that he called himself, which was to be a servant. And a servant, a servant doesn't get to define his own, or not define, but doesn't get to pursue his own comfort. In uh, Luke chapter 17, and I'm closing here, and verse 7 through 10, it says, And which of you having a servant plowing or shepherding, the one having come in out of his field will say to him, having come immediately recline? Or in other words, after you're done, who, who has a servant, and when that servant's done plowing the field, comes in and goes, okay, time for me to sit down and take a, take a nap. No, that's, that's not what a servant does. Instead, he will not say to him, Will he not say, prepare what I may eat, and having girded yourself about, serve me while I eat and drink, and after these things you shall eat and drink? Is he thankful to the servant because he did the things having been commanded? Thus you also, when you may have done all the things having been commanded you, say, we are unworthy servants. We have done that which we were bound to do. Meaning that, I seek the Lord's commands first before I seek any comfort of my own. Now, does that mean the Lord doesn't want me to be comfortable? The Lord gave me a pretty awesome house, and I'm very comfortable in that house. But I don't, that house doesn't take precedence over my service to the Lord. It doesn't take precedence. This is, now, this is the part where I'm supposed to give specifics on where all of us are falling short in this area. I don't know them. I don't have that authority. I have no idea. This isn't about you should do this and you should not do that. This is a mindset that we're to have. Let this mind be in you. Let that mind be in you. That when I come home, I don't look to Amber and say, Amber, where's my dinner? Kick up my feet, and which I've done plenty of times. But what can I, when I walk in that door, what is left for me to do? What do I need to do? When I walk through the house of the Lord, what... What service can I provide? It's been a long week, week at work. It was a long, week, a long day of plowing for that guy, but that didn't absolve him of coming into the house and being of service to his master, to being his master. But like I said, when we're soft, when, when we haven't carried a burden, all things seem heavy. That's why the Lord wants to toughen us up a little bit. Toughen us up. And he does that. He does that. No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man. And not tempta- it's just testing. No testing has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able. God's not going to bring you through anything you're not capable of, of doing. He's not that kind of Lord. Not- but I wonder what tests I'm not able to do because I'm too comfortable. I wonder what he would... He has planned for me, but he cannot enact because I'm too busy in my comfort zone, too busy in my comfort. But will also provide with that temptation, not a way of escape, which it says here, but a way to endure it, a way to go through it, a way to bear it. Philippians 2, and I'm closing right here, 14 through 15, do all things without murmuring and disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God unblemished in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You are able. We are able. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor?